0: Hello loyal listeners, Tropic Cyclone here. Man, Prime is getting a little whiny, isn't he? I guess we need to address a few things from his last transmission. First off, I was not responsible for the deaths of his sad little fans, nor does he have anything of mine, well, other than the Kraken, and he didn't really have that. I'll get into more details in a second, but for everyone who's concerned about the poor thing. Yes, the Kraken is back in his cave and perfectly fine. Which would have happened a lot sooner if people could have just stayed calm and not provoked him. Cephalopods are really quite smart, you know. Which is why the Kraken is probably the easiest sea monster out there to control, and why I chose him. By the way, sea monster, not a titan. Titans are giants and land-based. And fortunately for everyone, really, still sleeping right now. We don't want to wake them up, really. Not even I do. Yeah, the Kraken is a sea monster, one of many, but he's the only one that's really got any smarts or ability to respond to, well, commands is the wrong term, I think, but stimuli. And panicking him did not make things any better. If you ask me, Argo got what they deserved for being mean to a poor creature. I didn't put him away right away because, well, he's sort of like a big dog. He needs some playtime and he doesn't really get enough. The raiding party really should have known better than to, scream and wave their arms at him like that. He gets nervous. Then he tends to defend himself. And Argo trying to electrocute him, that was, again, just cruelty to animals. If they had just waited for me calmly, it could have been solved much quicker. Let's see. In the throes of recovering the Kraken, we did learn that magic ninja powers do, in fact, not qualify you to punch in the heavy division. Isn't that right, Jade Phoenix? Prime and the Cavalier, though, really need to sort out which of them is which and get us back down to one, because I am only going to be the nemesis for one of them, and I'm tired of trying to figure out which one is which. I think Prime has updated his look. It's not a good update, but it wasn't a good look to begin with, and he's still kind of got that Space Knight thing going, which, again, really not... I mean, how does that even work? One is a medieval historical thing, one future- I I don't get it. But whatever, taste was never his strong point. (laughs) Hopefully he manages to get this impersonation thing settled out, because again, I'm just tired of dealing with two of them. The world only needed one, and it didn't really need the one. It's a sequel week for us. So we're going to start with Despicable Me 2. It opens up with Gru having a birthday party for one of the girls. One of the moms at the party is trying to set him up with one of her friends, and it's made pretty clear he is more social and a part of things than he was when we met him in movie one. After the party, he gets kidnapped by a lady agent from the anti-villain league. Her name is Lucy. They want him to help them find a villain who has stolen a rather nasty formula that turns things monstrous. He's not having any of it. So he goes back home and we learn that he and Dr. Nefario have been trying to start a jam and jelly business, which isn't going great. So Dr. Nefario tells Gru that he's taking a new job where he gets to be evil again and Gru gets sad and starts feeling pointless so he goes back to the anti-villain league and says he'll help them after all. They have traced the evil potion to a mall and set Gru up there with a cupcake shop and a partner, the very same female agent who kidnapped him in the first place. They soon meet Eduardo, the owner of a Mexican restaurant in the mall, whom Gru recognizes as supervillain El Macho, who is believed to have died in a volcano years ago. Gru and Lucy break into the restaurant to try and find proof and get attacked by Eduardo's super-crazy pet chicken, but find no proof. The girls start whining about wanting a mother and pushing Grew to date Lucy, which he tells them he doesn't want to do. At the behest of the anti-villain league, Gru and Lucy investigate a wig shop in the mall, but Grew remains convinced Eduardo is el macho. Margot, the oldest of the girls, meets and develops a crush on Eduardo's son Antonio, which causes Grew to sort of lose his mind. The girls also sign Grew up for an internet dating site, which results in a terrible date that Lucy rescues him from, which makes Grew realize he does love Lucy. The anti-villain league shows up to arrest the wig store owner because they found an almost empty vial of the potion in his shop and close the investigation. Lucy gets reassigned to Australia. Gru tries to work up the courage to ask her out. Gru takes the girls to Eduardo's Cinco de Mayo party, where he stumbles into Eduardo's lair and discovers that Eduardo really is, as he suspected all along, El Macho. He discovers El Macho is Dr. Nefario's new boss, and they've kidnapped his minions and used the serum to mutate them into unstoppable monsters. He plans to use them to conquer the world in some way that isn't really clear, but offers to team up with Gru. Gru brushes off the offer, gathers up the girls, and leaves. We cut to Lucy, who is on a flight to Australia, but she realizes she's in love with Gru, skydives out of the plane to head back to him. She goes to the Cinco de Mayo party, where the crazy pet chicken reacts badly to her, at which point El Macho realizes she and Gru were the anti-villain agents and kidnaps her. But Dr. Nefario disapproves of people messing with his family, which is understandable, and takes off to Gru with both the news Lucy has been taken and the cure for the minions, which he mixes into their horribly unsuccessful jam. Gru and the two disguised minions set off to rescue Lucy by pretending Gru is captured. That doesn't last long, but Gru and the girls, in a really cute scene, use jelly guns to cure all the minions. El Macho then takes the mutagen himself, but Gru and Dr. Nefario overcome him using Lucy's lipstick taser and a fart gun. Lucy is, however, already strapped to a TNT-loaded shark rocket. Gru starts to untire, but Crazy Pet Chicken launches the rocket, which flies toward the same lava-spewing volcano where El Macho had previously faked his death. Lucy accepts Gru's invitation for a date, and the pair dive into the ocean seconds before the rocket enters the volcano. Lucy and Gru get married in an epilogue section. Okay, I really liked the first movie, and this one has a lot of the same sort of cuteness. But I feel like it's really marred a lot because of the unfortunate Mexican stereotypes and sexist stereotypes that it tends to employ. Lucy starts off way more capable than Gru, and easily defeats him, but still winds up helpless tied to a rocket needing him to rescue her at the end. So my overall feeling on this one… probably take a pass, watch the first one again. It's much better, and it doesn't have the message missteps that this one does. Moving on to our second sequel of the week, we're revisiting Peter Parker in Spider-Man 2 from 2004, I think it is. Peter is broke and mopey, still not dating his crush Mary Jane because he thinks it's too dangerous, his best friend Harry is still holding a grudge against Spider-Man, and Peter finds out his aunt's house is being foreclosed on. We go on to learn Peter sucks at balancing being Spider-Man with the rest of his life, and is having trouble in school as well. Harry introduces Peter to a scientist working on an experimental fusion reactor, which can totally in no way go wrong in a superhero movie. Peter and the movie make time for us to stalk his crush and see her with her new boyfriend. Then his spider powers begin not working quite right. Harry and Peter attend the turning on of the experimental reactor, which involves Dr. Octavius strapping himself into nifty cyborg tentacles. Yep, absolutely no way this can go horribly wrong. Of course, it goes wrong. The doctor's wife is killed, and he gets stuck in the cyborg arm rig, which is apparently also semi sentient. Harry is upset and potentially financially ruined by the experiment's failure. He blames Spider-Man. Crazy Doctor is dubbed Dr. Octopus by the press, decides to rebuild the failed reactor, even though he will have to steal the money to fund it now. So he robs the same bank that Peter and his aunt happen to be in, and he happens to take Peter's aunt hostage. Spider-Man rescues her, but of course Dr. Octopus gets away. Peter's boss has him take pictures at a society gala for his son, an astronaut, where Peter learns the son is the new boyfriend of Mary Jane, and he proposes to her during the party. The astronaut, not Peter, because Peter still can't really talk to her. Peter has another incident where his powers don't work right, right after the party. He can't figure out the connection, so he gets all super depressed and decides to quit being Spider-Man that's not going to work. Here's the thing, good or bad, once you make your mark in the costume superpowers game, no one lets you leave it. I think Prime is learning that the hard way right about now. But there is a montage where it seems to be working for Peter. He even mends some fences with his crush, although she reminds him she is engaged now. We revisit Peter's guilt from movie one where he, when he confesses to his aunt that it was his fault his uncle was killed. She doesn't take it well. We check in with Harry, who is drunk and still brooding over his hate for Spider-Man. Dr. Octopus shows up to threaten Harry because he needs a rare element to complete the reactor. Harry tells him to bring him Spider-Man and he'll give him the element, and that Peter knows how to find Spider-Man. Peter has his first heroing relapse when he rushes into a burning building to save a kid. He immediately starts doubting his choices again. He goes to visit his aunt again, and all is forgiven on that front, and she and a neighbor kid tell him how important Spider-Man is and how they hope he hasn't given up, which is apparently all Peter needs to regain faith in himself. Peter is having coffee with Mary Jane when Dr. Octopus shows up to threaten a meeting with Spider-Man out of him. To make sure he finds him and Spider-Man shows up, the doctor kidnaps Mary Jane. So really this whole keeping my identity secret to protect my loved ones thing doesn't seem to be working out for Peter. Of course, he walks right into the trap, gets beat up, captured, and brought to Harry, who gives Dr. Octopus the element he wanted. Harry decides to unmask Spider-Man before killing him, so Harry gets a rather nasty shock, but since Mary Jane is still missing and Peter figures out that Dr. Octopus is rebuilding the reactor, and will probably blow up the city, he decides to put their bromance trouble on hold until rescue is accomplished. Peter and Dr. Octopus have a big climactic battle, and Mary Jane is rescued, but he doesn't manage to prevent Dr. Octopus from starting the new reactor. He does manage to have a heartwarming moment when he talks the good doctor into helping him stop the reactor. Dr. Octopus is of course killed in the process of stopping it, which is exactly why I don't help the heroes, by the way. It never works out for the villain who turns good. Peter is also unmasked, so Mary Jane finally learns he's Spider-Man. We cut back to Harry, who is now having visions of his dead father. Remember, he was the villain back in movie one. Harry finds the hidden lab where his father did all of his villain stuff, as well as a dose of the same serum that he used to become the Green Goblin. Wonder who the villain's going to be in movie three. Mary Jane breaks off her wedding and refuses to take I'm Too Dangerous to Date as a valid reason to stay away from Peter, so, you know, good for her. And that sums up our reviews for this week, which don't include Batman movies, because apparently Shrike's holding a grudge about me calling him crazy every single time I review anything Batman, I'm guessing. Don't bother emailing Shrike, I already put you back on the spam filter. Anyway, that brings us to Demographics Watch. Despicable Me added a white female and a Hispanic male. And from Spider-Man 2, we got one additional white male which is going to bring our totals to heroes, 57 white males, 14 white females, 6 Asian males, 1 Asian female, 7 black men, 3 black women, 1 Maori man, 1 Hispanic man, 1 Native American man, and 1 Native American woman. For villains, we're up to 43 white men, 11 white women, 7 Asian men, 2 Asian women, two black men, one black woman, one Hispanic man, two Hispanic women, and one Native American man. I think that about sums it up for this episode. Yeah, I really can't think of anyone else I want to needle this time. So, until next time.